0: We're back. As you may already know, this is the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast with your hosts Tyler and Nate. We left you last week with Blue Polynorbs, having just stepped a toe into Valak Mountain before taking a break. Catching you up here, Shulk and Company aim to cross this icy landscape as a means to arrive at Sword Valley and infiltrate Galhead Fortress beyond, which is the location where Fiora slash Face Nemesis probably retreated to after the showdown at Prison Island. Let's get back to the story. This zone, like I said earlier, is a huge slope of snow and ice and glaciers and whipping winds and these ice crystal formations that kind of look like trees. That They've got lots of crystalline spikes that kind of look like tree limbs in a way. There's as, as trees, but then there are other crystal formations that are more like a conventional, um, more... Bar-shaped crystal. They're just interspersed throughout. There is a main central valley that is quite wide, and on either side of that main valley are smaller trails of ice and mountain ridges that you can cross into the sides of that main valley, and also literally cross over the main valley to access other areas. It's a tangled network of ice bridges and mountain ridges and ice trails and funny things like that. At night, those ice crystals, they do something very unusual. They glow, but they don't just radiate light. They point a beam of light up into the sky, and it's, it's a very yellow light, and this yellow light paints a yellow color onto the otherwise white snow on the ground, and so at night, it feels very yellow in color, kind of like, I don't know, peeing on the ground, you know, peeing in the snow.
1: I'd almost like go to the lengths of saying it's like a golden glow even. Sure. There's a little bit of like a heavenly quality here. So you go from this, the daytime you go from this cold um, windy, white and blue. Yeah, and it, it kind of gives way to a warm feeling and usually this at least in my observation, the storms and everything die down at night. Maybe that's an effect of the atmosphere being affected by these beams. Uh, yeah, now that you mentioned it. yeah I think that's true yeah so definitely some some shifting some yin and yang going on here uh that I enjoyed the the shift because you know some games when they stick you in the snowy area it's just also you know one note for quite a while and you, you kind of it, it's nice when you start out but after a couple hours there you kind of get sick of it so they they had a nice little transition here from day to night that shook things up yeah that was nice One thing I'll say is that in the previous chapter, I decided to give Melia the Machna Forest uh, transmog outfit because I was feeling like she needed to be separated a little bit from the pomp of her life, and the, um, the Machna Forest outfit made her seem more common and accessible it's a cool skin yeah and as i'm entering this uh, frozen tundra so to speak i thought maybe i should give her more clothes but then i'm like eh, nah i'll leave her to just freeze her ass off here
0: i have her as the red valkyrie
1: she's got some of the better transmogs uh i'd say Rhines is the worst he's looks like a doofus if you change him into anything but his default clothing
0: yeah i think yeah belia does have some pretty good ones
1: shulks is kind of bad too he looks like a doofus in the majority of his clothes too and maybe even his default outfit i might go the route of just putting him in beach wear towards the end of the game but we'll see
0: our party doesn't wear very much apparel uh, generally and we're in this uh, this zone here ryan typically has bare shoulders melia typically has bare upper thighs and arms i think and uh, yeah they've got to be cold they've got to be pretty cold
1: arla typically has a bare chested area for whatever reason it's like if you want to clothe her tough shit, you can't So as is customary of uh, arriving in a new zone, we have our Nopon greeting party awaiting us after the cutscenes. And uh, like all of their diminutive cousins scattered about Bionis, um, they would like for us to distribute death to all living things. Um, And I am the tool that will deliver that to the uh, beings of Valak Mountain. Um, I think in the cosmic balance of things i'm leaning towards maybe the nopon are agents of death itself
0: nails easily driven into place by the hammer that is ourselves
1: yes exactly and it's like if they were little like imps or demon creatures you'd question it right but because (laughs) it's them you don't question whether they're agents of the devil so um we have the i i talked to tyler and i jokingly said uh Go, therefore, and make corpses of all nations, baptizing them in their own blood and rent sinew in the name of Miri Miri, Ooglepac, and Dudara. Stare not into the abyss, lest the abyss yes-no
0: back. (laughs) I love it. Uh, They have an excuse this time, though, so, I mean, yeah, they do issue the genocide quests, but a little bit later we run into other Nopons in what they're calling a Nopon village. It's just a bunch of nopons standing around in a cave, not much of a village. They've gentrified genocide into, quote, ecological balance. This isn't murder. This isn't wholesale genocide of creatures. This is preserving ecological balance. It's different, Nate. It's different.
1: I will accept that because they provide me with content, so... Here we are.
0: So what kind of creatures do we run into here? Well, there's Mora Moras. Those are the flying manta rays that we've seen in Prison Island. There are X, those zebra-like guys, but they're level 98 here, so stay away. There are Reef Nebulas. Why they're called Reef Nebulas when we were in a place that had reefs, and those nebulas weren't called Reef Nebulas. I don't know why, but there are Reef Nebulas here. Senza Lexos, which are those flying blue... Barracuda dragons. Antolls, which are those large ants. There's a big one called the Entma king. Apis, which are the flies that carry boulders and stuff. cells, which are the prehistoric birds, but they're blue and white now. Chicklins, which are like the Turkins from the Bionis knee, but they're, I don't know, they're 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 ice, you know, they're frozen tundra variations. They're called Chicklins. They were called Turkins. Now they're called Chicklins.
1: I think they're actually called chill clins, right? Chilkins? I- can we look that up? Can we put a Let's ding, look that up. ding noise here? Post-production tile or something? Chilkins. Dilkin. Chilkins. Which makes sense.
0: Yeah, that does make sense. Chicklins. It's like chicklets.
1: Jesus. You're on a diet. You
0: want to eat. Your willpower is getting weaker. Quick, a box of willpower new chicklets chicklets chewing there are Costa Aries which I'm going to describe as reindeer bears <laughs> Sierra Sierra Vangs which are just bats Porcu hoxes, Noto Ferrises Ferrises are of course those lion-like creatures Conflagrant Rakesaws which was an elite Barracuda Dragon in the Lava Cave Zephyr oris which are i'm just gonna say are snow rhinos and this one at the bottom of the zone the crowley slobos those big tusked purple ganondorf slash final fantasy baymoth brutes with a white crystal cluster on its back those are pretty those guys are pretty cool
1: are they using the orluga skeleton to um walk about in the same manner if that's true i didn't pick up on it maybe or maybe there's just a like a visual connection but not actually reusing the a modified Orluga model to achieve that goal there by the way
0: about all of these creatures in this game have a two-word name. There's no, like, I don't know, <laughs> Rattata. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it begs the question, is my historical linguistic knowledge so bad? Has our education system failed me to where these names actually have a connection to some real attribute, or is this just vowels and things being shoved through a name generator that makes no sense because I can't honestly point to a creature name that has made complete sense to me in quite a while a few
0: times something will resonate with me for example those vangs the bats vang fang vampire fang bat vampire they're they're like tertiary connections they're they're not very uh strong connections and so rarely maybe i don't know but
1: it's strange because they don't usually have two names, but they do here. I can imagine a listener, um, coming into the chat saying, well, if you know old Teutonic German, this would make complete sense to you. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, loving the, the zones music. Uh, it's perfect Christmas music. I, uh, at least in daytime, I'm getting perfect Christmas music. A doctor who holiday special would slide right in here with this as its theme. Um, the familiar, calming English horn reminds me of Kingdom Hearts Traverse Town. Uh, it's wafted me back into that JRPG comfy listening space that I expect from Yoko Shimomura. Uh, yeah, I'm remembering that name correctly. It's very familiar, very comfy, very good. I might be one for more of the like ambient, subtle uh, tracks in... At least these more like open world games where I'm going to be in the zone running around for hours on end. Now, like the driving strong themes of a Final Fantasy 7 where, you know, you're on the world map for 15 minutes max. And then you're running through a zone and story beats are shifting the themes and battles are interrupting um, music, you know, we, we get the same thing here, battles interrupt it, but you also spend so much time just hoofing it around the zone that I need a good ambient theme so that I'm not having these like driving forceful, uh, themes that get stuck in my head and make me want to hum them till my brain falls out. All right, Tyler. So we are at the top of a snowy mountain, and I am assaulted with the question of why am I not engaging in a balloon popping snowboarding minigame right now? I'm really feeling it. Perfect. I've got a good feeling about this. How good
0: are we? Uh, That's because Dixon isn't around to fashion you some uh, Mechonis armor skis to help you shred down that white powder.
1: Yes. um, I'm just it makes me think of how uh, I'm mourning the death of 90s cool because um, I think about that all the time of how back in the 90s everything had to be cool you couldn't just have a snowy (laughs) mountain you had to snowboard down the snowy mountain right everything was x games everything had to have tony hawk's stamp of approval on it um everything had to have attitude you couldn't just eat a sugary snack you had to be saying fuck you mom while you were eating that sugary snack um so um, and even before Final Fantasy VII, we had Sonic the Hedgehog snowboarding down a uh, mountain on an airplane door. You might be wondering, how do I know that Sonic was snowboarding down a uh, icy mountain on an airplane door? It's because... If you know about the history of Sonic 3 and Sonic & Knuckles, they were two games that used to be one giant game until they realized it was too big for a single cartridge. So they cut it into two. Originally, uh, Carnival Knight's uh, cannon was supposed to fire you up into the air at which you would arrive at uh, Flying Battery Zone. You would be specifically fired at that plane to uh, assault Robotnik's Flying Fortress. And after Mm -hmm. destroying it, you would break out of it and use that uh, airplane door to surf down the mountain below. Now, what we got in actual Sonic 3 was just that cannon from Carnival Night firing you off into a mountain and you just serendipitously landing on a piece of metal that you could snowboard on for no reason. So, the more you know, Tyler. But. We don't we don't get to we don't get to snowboard down the mountain just yet, but we might have a little surprise coming for us later. Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: Every chapter ends with a twist. Um right, so we're going down the mountain. One of the things you pick up off the ground like the little blue globes is
1: large handcuffs. Oh my god, I have a whole segment on this. Lay it on me, dude. Well, t- can we can we get there i don't know where there is i got a couple things to blow through here first Okay, so one thing I noticed is uh, if you check out Shulk, he is now wielding the Monado 2. Oh, really? In the inventory? Yeah, the Monado has been upgraded. It is officially listed as Monado 2. Oh. Uh, it has none of the original gems equipped, and I don't know if I'm ever getting that gem back. Did it have gems originally? Maybe not. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, I think so. It just suffice to say, it looks thicker. It looks a little bit more like a broad sword and less like a, you know, the original did look like a sword as well, but in that like Kingdom Hearts Keyblade kind of sense of like, it does other stuff than just sorting. But this just looks like a sword. I already said that I explored the whole map, or I had the goal of exploring the whole map, so we don't really need to touch on that. Um, That was hard to do. It's not, this is not a very easy map to fill out. Yeah, and I find a lot of wet rats and ice monkeys in the process. (laughs) Ice monkeys, Arctic monkeys. Yeah. The center of the zone there's a mechanical looking spire called the Mechanis wound it's tip yes. lodged in the land knowing what we know about the pain um bionis endures just by us building a house on a relatively armless dirt plot i'm kind of wondering what the hell this giant wound uh, did to bionis or you know, it might just be a toothpick in comparison to the big picture. Who knows? But um, maybe we've also got that giant drill seemingly up Bionis' ass. So <laughs> um, yeah, no, not his ass. That's like a leg. We're in that leg leg region. You know, I thought that once we
0: found the McCannus wound, this skyscraper sized techno horror spike driven into... The snow here—that we would have a cutscene about it—but nobody has anything to say about it. Now I know I have a lot of guff about there being too many cutscenes, you know, in in chapters. But I thought we would, you know, pause to marvel at this thing. The Makanus wound sounds like such—it has such like gravity to the mythology of this world that we live on but we don't have anything to say about it. I just, I found that a little
1: surprising. The cutting room floor could definitely have a reel of our eighth uh, repeated Xenovision and add in a scene with uh, explaining some of these environmental elements a little bit more. I'd be okay with that. It's cool.
0: We don't, it's just a waypoint. It's just a teleport location, but the Mechana's
1: wound is pretty rad. All right, so... (laughs) We make our way up about halfway down, somewhere somewhere in the vein of half. This this zone has two layers to it, so about halfway down I find the gacked geyser. No, wait. Ja- jacked geyser? Yacked geyser?
0: I'm, I'm going to yacked because these guys have British slash Australian accents, and that's kind of European, and
1: kind of European accents make J's e-wise. Definitely if they were Swedish or Nordic. Um, we would change those J's to Y's. so yeah I'm, I'm cool with Yakt as well um, So yacked Exactly the geyser is uh, massive it shoots maybe the entire uh, height of the zone from where it sits about halfway down mm-hmm. I saw it fire off so I swam to the center of the lake as my uh, rumble pack uh, shout out to Star Fox 64 informs <laughs> me that shit's about to go down I am uh, shot thousands of feet into the air and fall rapidly into another pool of water where I am neither scalded into an unrecognizable mass of flesh by water temperatures capable of creating such a geyser nor do my bones shatter on impact as I flop openly into the pool below i have no diving form whatsoever and this uh our ballistics are perfect yes perfect so we now know that we're playing a video game in this moment here Uh, i feel like if we were playing earthbound there would be commentary on what just happened and like a, a wink wink nod nod of just uh goofing around about the fact that you were just shot up in a Powering geyser and landed in a pool but everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. There's a nopon hanging out here. He's lost. He needs our help. Well, Tyler, at the um, at this little hot spring, this tucked away hot spring where uh, it's secluded and nobody else is here I find a pair of large handcuffs. Um, What exactly was going on at this quote unquote hot spring? I don't know. Now, you may think me finding a pair of handcuffs like and going this direction, I may be I'm, I'm being unnecessarily dirty or suggestive, but uh, hear me out on this one. I've discovered that there are a number of items in the game that have a question mark identifier, meaning no one actually knows what these items actually are, and they instead elect a party member to name them and identify their use. So in this case, the handcuffs, as they are labeled, are described in-game as furry green rings and it says it didn't take long for ryan to name these he made the decision to call them handcuffs Tyler, when are handcuffs furry and bright
0: colors? Uh, they are furry and bright colors when your significant other goes to a passion party with an extra $50 in their pocket.
1: Exactly. Ryan's also the one with the exclusive real men attire, earnable in the uh, Nopon world. Oh boy. So <laughs> um, I'm assuming he's the one wearing the handcuffs in this scenario, because if anyone in the party would need them to be large, it's him. He is the largest person we have so um i'm gonna take back what i said last chapter i now don't know if ryan or ricky fucks more yeah you like that oh yeah
0: baby ricky's so excited gonna burst
1: ryan does not fuck. i don't i don't know he's he's the one
0: rocking. Ryan ryan's got his v-card okay see p- people people like ryan they make like crass sexual jokes to live in a sexual context although they don't themselves have sexual
1: experiences okay i i can see that i can see where you're going with that i did some experimentation to see to see if w- where i was going was in a certain vein um of truth or not uh-huh. so i have Charlotte gift the handcuffs to Ryan. oh wow only one heart is gained if it was three <sighs> if it was three or four I'd know something was up off screen.
0: That would have been spectacular.
1: Yeah, that would have been a nice little gem. I would have lost my shit if, like, four hearts came up on that one. (laughs) Um, I'm still going to cautiously postulate that there's something here between Charla and Ryan, because there was another uh, little bout of kind of emotional ribbing back in alchemoth where she was saying how he needs to be more sensitive and it's like well why are we having these exchanges between the two of them at all you know i think there's something off screen between the two of them who knows um i would say he also gives off some submissive himbo energy every time he takes one of those verbal beatings from Charla uh because he doesn't uh he he might like stick up for himself a little bit, but um he hasn't deterred her from going off on him at all. So um she has seemed to gain the comfort level to kind of affectionately dish it out without repercussions with him. So um maybe she's looking forward to some retaliation later. I don't know, but um that's that's my headcanon at this point until I'm proven otherwise or Gadalt shows up inside a Mecon body and she falls madly in love with robot gadol i don't know
0: yeah gadol goes Charlotte. what are you doing with those green furry rings exactly and it just ends their relationship it's, like, it's not what you it's not what it looks like
1: yes and we talked you know like 10 chapters or eight cha- how, however long ago it was um we said because we didn't see Gadalt in a death cut scene with everything we know now he's most definitely inside a fucking mecha and, gundam
0: yeah yeah we haven't yeah we haven't
1: checked in with him in a lot well at all so you found a nopon up there what did he want um i don't remember oh i know what he wants i wrote it down what do you want so also up here is a starving nopon who requests uh three hawks flints two antel fire pouches and one ferris aged ale because he's hungry i understand the food but um the ale You need me to go get you alcohol, buddy? Come on, man. Shall I whip up a fine dessert while I'm at it up here in the middle of fucking nowhere, dude? Yes. Yes, you should. Or greedy Nopon. Yes, he's... I think he's a little bit out of his element. He should say, hey, just go get me one piece of meat, please, so I don't die. Not a full course meal. But maybe that's the Nopon way. (laughs) Maybe that's the Nopon way. You need a full, multifaceted... Three course meal in order to survive, but suffice to say, I don't want to hear any you nerds complain about Death Stranding again. Now that I'm up here delivering food to people,
0: as we descend down the mountain, we arrive at that big spire of ice. Shulk feels like he knows this place. There's high ntl language about. There's a little mini quest that we've done before we get here, where we go into a fire cave, a little ice cave that's got a pool of lava in there. We pick out a lava rock and we use it to melt these walls of ice that are preventing us from advancing through the zone in, in very particular narrow passages
1: when they need to melt the door they identify a source of heat which is the geezers not the geysers the geezers do they say geezers <laughs> they say geezer no they do
0: in a cutscene?
1: Yes, pull it up. There should be a geyser nearby. In the cave next to it, we will find a stone called Magma Rock. Sounds good. Start looking for a geyser, everyone. Go to the geyser. Um, that was why I, at the beginning of the episode I said, I'm so glad you said geyser.
0: And one of those passages that we melt is the entrance to Osei Tower. Alvis calls this place Osei Tower, built by the Hyentia to house the Monado. This is where Baby Shulk and the Monado were recovered by Dixon 17 years ago. Alva says that he made contact with the Monado and received its power and that this is the ceremony of his family. Um, what, What happens afterwards is a lot of weird, indirect language of waffling about the Monado and what the Monado means and that it's the future of stuff. Are you saying I should stop? you are a fluctuation as a fluctuation you exist outside the results of your predictions the more you accept this existence the more malleable the world becomes and it's all very slow and profound and everyone takes a break to to listen to this stuff and and i mean we can i feel like we can break it down but this just feels like one out of a series of the same kind of conversations where we're just proselytizing about like this xenoblade in shulk's hands where it's like yeah it controls everything it controls the future it manipulates the future manipulates the present it 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 it, it obeys the will of the master although maybe the master is the sword Uh, and and i'm getting tired of this of these scenes where we're explaining one percent more of the same story about the same sword And we have one here. It's a really important place to be, this Osei
1: Tower. Um, But I'm just, like, bored of it. In my notes, I pretty much say the exact same thing. Um, It's mostly things we already know or could probably deduce from what we do know. It's basically an entry from Xenogears' Perfect Works, but sprinkled into the game again. Like if you took a chapter from Perfect Works and chopped it up into nine pieces, so that you didn't have to have a forty-five minute monado cutscene, and you're like, you know, it'd probably be better if we broke this up over eight entries. That's what this is, because like in Xenogears, there were topics where we're just like, we don't know what the hell what's going on with this thing and so um the writers here are solving that problem but maybe solving it a little bit too well or too slowly it's the same thing of not really expect uh, respecting our intelligence in some ways of you know all this is pretty standard stuff like you can just explain it once and we're good i feel like yeah right let's get on with the game yeah
0: very much like prison island we're here we've seen that cutscene. With Dixon recovering us, and like, oh oh my goodness, maybe we'll go there someday, several chapters from now. And now that we're here, it just seems like the same old vagaries, and it's exhausting. And this stuff is not as exciting as other things that happen in this episode that we're going to get to shortly. Although, this scene is dressed up as more profound. And the moments of this chapter that I did find exciting are more like (laughs) the same regular anime drama that that you might say is kind of lowbrow
1: definitely um yeah i'm I'm right there with you this is another example of it adds to the saga of making a campfire and sleeping in places that we definitely shouldn't be doing that I'm so glad you mentioned that I'm so glad you mentioned that <laughs> uh, yeah it, it's a, it's our third or yeah. fourth entry into that where this is like this is dressed up as like oh we need to rest we need to sleep and then nobody is sleeping and they're spending the whole night in a cutscene <laughs> so it's like guys stop, stop doing these you know
0: it's a wonder we didn't build a campfire in that uh, conference room in the Hyentia capital <laughs> do you
1: guys have central air no okay well I'm busting out a campfire <laughs> dunbin kind of is watching on not exactly hidden but like kind of looks like they're suggesting he's hidden because he's looking like concerned and contemplative as he listens to alvis talk about the monado over and over um but he's not sad just concerned no sad exactly now that i have the uh, newfound ability to melt the ice it is time for some x game shit in this zone this is, this is more hardcore than anything you've ever seen on X Games, though, because instead of skis, boards, sleds, we are going to run full speed on ice mm. and have it just turn us into superhuman speed demons. No slipping, no sense, just pure speed. And uh, I find a steep, icy hill, and I run full speed down it. As I near the uh, curved jump at the end, I hit the jump button, and I'm fired across the entire width of the zone at neck-breaking speeds, straight into a rock wall. I immediately grab that rock wall as Dunbin, the man with one arm, and begin to scale a cold, icy cliff face with a single hand. Did you do that? No. No. You you must have missed that area. You had to go back and melt the ice paths uh, from the beginning.
0: I walked the shit out of that zone. I didn't do anything like that. Oh, fuck. This is a tip jar. Double chip jar.
1: Yeah, hopefully your next chapter, will let you do some backtracking. Well, they always let you do some backtracking, so you're good there. Um, but at the end of that jump, a uh, secret area awaits me called the Three Sage Summit. Not sure who the three sages are, but there are three massive giant creatures roaming here. What were they called again? The, the things that I said kind of looked like Orlugas. Oh, I have it here. I have it here. Um, they are the three Glorious Lobos. Glorious Slobos, band name. Yep. But one is bigger than the others, and he is an elite, and his name is. <laughs> <laughs> God. I can't even read this without laughing. His name is Final Marcus. No, really? I don't think I found <laughs> yes. this place. Final Marcus? I don't remember that. Yeah, you you had to do the X game shit to get up here. Oh, so, shoot. Um, he is level 100 and spiked, and I'm not even going to bother dying to him. But um, Whoa. My question is, does the final in his name mean that he's like the omega weapon of the game? Maybe. Maybe
0: we're probably far enough along to run into something like that
1: yep and at the rear there is an ancient giant's door and it's sealed i am unable to enter so theory time here we met a giant we met zanza right blue skin red eyes and now we're in this area where there's an ancient giant's door is there a whole race of giants native to Bionis that we have yet to meet except for one?
0: That would be awesome. I don't know why they'd be behind a Frozen.
1: Well, that's the thing, though. In Nordic lore, you have the Frost Giants, which uh, in modern like portrayals, if you watch the Thor movies or uh, you play World of Warcraft, the the Frost Giants are given blue skin and i don't know if that's like actually indicative of the the lore of them even in like old school nordic shit but um you know i'm seeing a connection here but um alternatively because this is a three sage stomach there's a small chance that ganondorf is also back there Mm. uh sealed behind that door Mm. but we'll have to save that for later maybe uh when i beat final marcus and get his key. But instead I have to uh, settle for the wet rats and rumble packs that uh, decorate my descent as I jump down from uh, a big icy slide.
0: That's awesome. I did not run into them. I I guess that means I didn't fill out the map. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I'll encourage you. There are areas that you can access by melting more ice walls. I melted a few.
0: I melted one to get to an ore vein, but it, d- it didn't melt one to get to that sort of speed mechanic.
1: There's a giant ice slide. You'll love it. It's oh of no!
0: I went through a giant ice slide. And you had to did jump. You, you had to jump over a chasm like once or twice.
1: Did you like? So you went. You go full speed. Did you hit jump at the very end? Because if you do, you'll have enough distance for whoever you're playing as. For me, it was Dunbin he actually grabbed onto the other side. There was a ledge through the giant side.
0: You were saying you went all the way across the zone doing it. Yeah, like when I did it, I was looping around the the no pond, the quote unquote no pond village area. Like the, those interior tubes, the 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 hollow bone area.
1: Okay. We'll have to crack this open and maybe investigate as we mm. uh, do a little bit of backtracking yeah.
0: here. Yeah. All right. All right, well, regardless, I have more uh, map unlocking to do. For sure. When we get to the, I'll just say, the bottom of the zone, it kind of spreads out into this um, snowy plain. It's not very vertical anymore. It kind of flattens out. And a mechon jets across the sky. It's Nemesis face. She lands next to a big black spire in the glacier, and it's Fiora. She opens up the cockpit, and she reveals her and she says, young heirs of the Monado, we meet again. And then um, Shulk acknowledges her and Fiora starts kind of reckoning with herself. So Fiora, is that my name? Then you, you know this body? It's strange that she would call herself this body. She's, you know, this is the soul transfer, right? She's disassociated from her body. So she calls herself her body. And um, Shulk, or maybe it's Dunman that says, so it's true that you don't remember us at all. Remember, your family's here. Dunban's over there. And Dunban's kind of watching in the distance. And, and uh, Fior says, family. There is family. Which is a very strange sentence. Um, and, then she, and then she says, there is a matter that I must speak to you about. And then she gets blasted by some sort of energy missile. It is no surprise whatsoever that that blast was issued by a metal face yes so that prick middle face shows up he's attacked his own i don't know countryman country countrywoman. she's kind of damaged and maybe a little prone on the ground here and he's got the body of fiora held hostage and he says give me the monado and you know what shulk Gives up the Monado, gives up the Xenoblade, gives up the God Sword, gives up the weapon, the tool that manipulates reality itself to save his goddamn girlfriend. Swear jar. Fuck it. Swear jar. <laughs> I just have to ask myself, like, what the? Like, WTF? Like, you're the Monado boy. Like, you don't give up the Monado.
1: Yeah, you're the Monado boy. Like, you have the only tool. There, there's one tool that can assault this guy and you have it, and he's also 0% trustworthy, so like, if you give him the one tool that is against him what, like, motivation is he gonna have to not kill Fiora, not kill you, etc like, this is just bad tactical negotiating whatsoever, to think like oh yeah, he'll totally leave us alone He's he's been good about that, right guys? Not wanting to murder us, not wanting to murder my entire town I lived in like the only thing that has kept him from doing that at any point in here is the Monado. So yeah, don't give up the Monado. You're, like Tyler said, you're the Monado boy. There's one rule. Don't give up the Monado. He stabs it into the ground.
0: Let's go of the handle and yeah, hold on. Oh, and th- This was a little mind-blowing. Mumkar? <laughs> What's your... How's it going? Dunban! steps out of his frame and starts walking with his hom legs in the snow to pick out the monado which totally revolutionized my understanding of this whole soul transfer uh hams eating excuse me Mekon eating hams and then assimilating them I thought they were, and you said this earlier, in like in a catatonic state inside of the frame to harness some sort of beneficial quality about Ahams in the suit. But now he's just like, <laughs> the soul transfer process is just, it's just mind control now. It doesn't seem like the sort of... Um, actualization to become like part of the antagonist party. They just, if he's walking around and he's got his own moves and his own attacks and his own skills and his own voice and opinions, and he can just jump in and out of that frame as he pleases, that fundamentally violates my, my, my understanding of what the Mechon, or what the faced Mechon army sort of looks like from the beginning of the game, like all the way back to the beginning, that was just, I mean, Fiora doing the thing that she was doing at the end of the previous chapter was one thing, but this, this was different.
1: Definitely, I think that it's a complete recontextualization of what a Mechon even is. For me. And and it's raised yeah. so many more questions too. Maybe in good ways, too, because I was kind of bored with Metal Face as the character, we kind of understood him. And to be clear, like mm-hmm. when you when we were just talking about it here, you're like, Yeah, Mumkar jumps out and we had theorized the last chapter, that it was Munkar, and we did the voice comparison. The game plays it off as like a like a big moment and Dunbin has this reaction but it's like you already kind of teed it up real hard on that front so I don't know why the game kind of like does that momentarily. like it's him you know because it's like we already knew but you know it is what it is but um yeah I don't even think that soul transfer is a thing that I think we've seen one case of a soul transfer in this game, and here's what it is. It's Lady Mayneth is a soul that existed and was stored somewhere, and they decided, you know, hey, we have a corpse of a, you know, suitable, compatible woman here in Fiora, and they put Lady Mayneth inside Fiora's body, and then Fiora's body inside of a frame, essentially. And, And they call it a frame. When of the first scene there. So Mumkar does not suffer any amnesia. He's in full awareness of his motivations, his past life, his hatreds, or whatever. He suffers none of the like questions or side effects of um, the way Fiora is, or Lady Mineth, or whatever. You know, like, oh, there's a family? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Who's Shulk? Oh my god. Like Mumkar is in 100% possession of Mumkar, and he makes that completely clear in his following speeches that... You know, when Dunman's like, why'd you do it? Why'd you do that? You know, and uh, Momkar just tells us because he's just him, you know. So there is no soul transfer, in my opinion, when it comes to Momkar. He's a dude with metal plating that can pilot a mech on ship good enough for me at this point good enough for me yeah um so he uh, yeah he hops out grabs the monado and uh kind of gives us his little speech on his motivations here i don't i don't know i don't really buy it but it is what it is he says he always wanted to be the hero and he hated that dunbin was the hero and so it kind of to me, it begs the question, like, dude, do you know what a hero actually is? Because you don't just, like, it's not like a job. You know, you you uh, audition for the role and, uh, you know, oh, this guy's much more uh, hero-esque than you. Um, plus, like, he talks about how, oh, he wishes he could have had the Monado. It's like, hey, Mumkar, would you willing to have your arm fucking singed off by that thing? Because do you see Dunbin's a one-armed man now? like i don't think he really knew what he was signing up for or what would be the situation that came with that role that dunman took on um but you know whatever he just he has this kind of uh hero incel energy like (laughs) if i can't have hero cell his main motivating factor is if i can't have her oh then no one will. He grabs the Monado, he's got it now.
0: It's so great in his hands, he just relishes in it. But Melia, behind her back, is powering up a spell in her hand and she sprays red energy at Moomkar, who loses the Monado, it like pops out of his hand into the air, and the Metal Face frame falls over, who's no longer um, rendering Fiora and Nemesis Face a hostage. Shulk has Monado now. He lost it for all of 45 seconds. And um, Mooncar draws these red claws from his wrists. So they're like wolverines, but they're energy, not blades, and they're red. It's a pretty cool effect, honestly. It's just, it's just video game awesomeness. It's nerdtastic and, and violent. We fight him. We have a boss battle with Metal Face, but it's not really Metal Face anymore. We're fighting Mumkar in
1: his Homs format, and during this whole exchange, he is able to keep um, Fiora and Nemesis Face in place because he can also remotely control um, Metal Face, the the suit. Um, so it kind of it kind of begs the question: like, hey, we're kicking your ass here. <laughs> Wouldn't you uh, summon the suit to help out? But He's
0: grossly outnumbered in his Homs form. Like, how strong can he really be without it? Like, wasn't the whole point? You're so much stronger with the frame, but he elects not to for I don't know why. I guess it's dramatic and character reveal-y, but that's what we have here.
1: He does say that he loves his new body, so... And it, like you said, it's pretty cool looking. Uh, it's definitely got some great design to it. makes me think of how um, in the transmog window you can actually... Is it M1000 or M100 gear or whatever? M100. Yeah, you can give other people robot parts. So maybe that's what he's got. It's like the, the Mechon 100 armor set on. But again, that's like uh, some of your party members, it's like... Hey, your real legs would not fit inside those legs, so did you uh, just get amputations to have this thing equipped or what? So I'm guessing uh, there's no like going back. There's no like taking the armor off. Mumkar's body is permanently like that.
0: Um, Mumkar does have some interesting skills. He's got this like Hadouken ability where he slashes his claws together and a chevron of red passes forward through it. I thought that was pretty neat, but for the most part, um, we just kind of spank them, uh frankly Uh, afterwards we have a scene in which dunbin and mumkar are one v one-ing each other and they are doing kind of like the typical sort of anime swords fight sort of things where they're grappling with one of one another's motivations and and um purposes and and challenging one another verbally as they're physically sparring usually you wouldn't have as much i don't know energy or lung capacity to have a dialogue as you're trying to kill one another but these guys do
1: keep in mind for for this battle for them going toe to toe and kind of meeting each other uh in equal skill this is a man who has received um modifications to his body to be the best version of himself Versus another man with one fucking arm. So uh, I think it's pretty clear why you weren't chosen to be the hero, Mumkar. Because guess what? Dunbin doesn't have the Monado right now. He's just got a regular ass sword and he's kicking the shit out of you.
0: They do one of those mutual samurai slices
1: where you slide past one another
0: as you're striking each other. And they hold the moment there with their backs turned to one another. And then after a certain amount of time passes, one of them winces because they took the a blow and it's Mumkar that took the blow. Dunban has injured Mumkar's arm but he still says get on your knees and worship me in his awful voice. you'll never win! Get on your knees and worship me!
1: Never. I will strike you down and all that you have become you wretched fool. The Manado will stop you and then you will know the shame of all that you have done, traitor!
0: And then An avalanche starts coming down the mountain. I'm not sure if it's natural or if it's because of what's about to happen next, but several Zord-faced Mechons, I'm just gonna call them that for simplicity, land in their, quote, ball mode. There's maybe eight of them, and then a glorious light shines above the battlefield. Another faced Mechon emerges. It's huge, larger than Nemesis, larger than Metal larger than anything else it's huge 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 it's yellow green or maybe it's kind of gold but it seemed kind of yellow green to me there's veins of glowing red energy about it it has a long tail its mask is silver and its eyes glow with turquoise colors we haven't seen this thing completely yet but it's here it looks like a big baddie
1: he openly states that he has the strongest Mechon ever made. This is the strongest Mechon ever built, controlled by me, Egil, leader of Mechonis, an agent of Mainet. Leader of Mechonis. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I need to rewatch the scene. He doesn't say he is the strongest Mechon alive. He says that this suit is the strongest Mechon made, right?
0: Ever built was, I think, the vocabulary.
1: Yeah, so again, we're breaking down this dichotomy of what a mechon even is right now. So I 100% think that there's a, another modified Homs or something inside that thing. Maybe something more ancient than Homs. Definitely. You know, whatever. And that Egil, is, uh, he's the mechonis' leader. Yeah. And that he, he's got the best mechon. He's got the shiniest mechon. Um, It's got all sorts of things going on looks like it could tail swipe you he frees the world of the tyranny of bionis yeah we've heard that from other characters too we've heard that from zanza too like zanza says that he fights for the world he doesn't fight for bionis per se right mm-hmm. so um again we we've, we've got this this idea that maybe bionis sucks <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but uh yeah and he egil um did we get a name for his mecon the uh no
0: we didn't
1: we didn't get a you got
0: a name for his pilot yeah i
1: think we didn't get golden face <laughs> golden face or uh tail face angel giant face <laughs> angel face i don't know uh something like that um but he grabs Fiora plus the Fiora Gundam and jets off and taunts Shulk to follow him. Fiora! If you want her, come and get her. You are more than welcome on colony.
0: Come and visit any time, Danvan! Munka. We're coming! And we won't give up! It's a very... Saturday morning cartoon end of the episode moment because he takes the damsel in distress. They jet off the douchebaggy um goldfish poop sort of villain. And I don't know if you are familiar with that sort of trope, but like the villain that never dies. It's just he mm. just is always on your ass. Oh, totally. He gets into his mechan and he disappears and shulk like hollers, We're coming to get you. And then um Edgel says we will meet you on the battlefield if you want to come and get here it's it's a high energy cliffhanger this chapter doesn't end with mystery it doesn't end with these big questions or, or even a sad sort of note it ends with this like high energy like stay tuned next week same bat time same bat channel sort of enthusiasm don't miss the next bat episode same bat time same bat channel that i don't think we've really even seen um very much in this in this game so far it it just seemed very
1: like power
0: rangers will be back next week let's do this
1: oh yeah i'm glad you said power rangers because the exact example i was thinking of is really uh, yeah uh, the exact example I was thinking of is Lord Zed, right? One of the oh. most threatening, menacing-looking bad guys ever created. He's He's got no skin. He's got this, like... Uh, toothed mask sharp lines uh tubes with like blood pumping through them a giant metal staff with a z on the top you think that he could absolutely just completely fuck shit up right and he almost never does anything physical in the entire show he just sits in his tower and throws monsters down which is par for the course (laughs) but you know you think if he really wanted to get something done he'd just get in there and start beating ass like and before him you had rita Repulsa. she was a witch so you kind of understood like witches don't fight witches do you know creepy magic shit to kind of screw with you and like manipulate things but when lord zed showed up you're just like he's gonna kick ass and he never kicked any ass whatsoever so
0: oh lord zed give me Another chance i will not fail
1: again Quit! those power rangers are nothing but mere infants you were defeated by children my big question here is are we gonna get any giant robots or are we just gonna be hacking away at these things feet in the entire game because i don't think so mm-hmm. i
0: hope i mean i would like to but i feel like it's just not in the cards for us
1: yeah i think that we would have already been introduced to some sort of mechanic like that if we were but i just think about like Again, I talk about World of Warcraft a lot in this uh, podcast for whatever reason, but when you think about dragons, right, um, in World of Warcraft, how you fight a lot of dragons and the vast majority of those times the dragons are fighting you, their feet are on the ground and they're trying to slap you with their hands. And it's like they, they do do some flying and breath attacks, but it's just like, here's the thing. You're a dragon. Just fly and and rain fire down on us all the fucking time no matter what (laughs) like it would be so easy to just kill us if you're a dragon right do it all the time not just during phase two exactly and it's like if we don't get a giant robot of our own why would any one of these giant robots like and we fought metal face on foot we fought zord on foot we've done all that it's like you guys can fly Just go up there and fire your nukes at us. What the hell? But they always come down and they always let us stab their toes. So (laughs) I'm just like, I don't know. It's a little bit disappointing. And this was a problem that they solved with a little game called Xeno Gears. So we'll see. We'll see if I get my robot. That would be cool. And the game has transitioned to a place where I believe that that's possible now because they just told us that the Mechon are just frames. They're frames for humans. It sure looks like it now. What's your feeling about Mumcar being Metal Face? How do you... um... You
0: know what? I've been holding this back for a while, but I accidentally spoiled that for myself. There have been two vectors of spoilers for myself as we've been doing this series. One of them... If you remember when I, I was complimenting Mysterious Face's voice actor, I went to the wiki mm-hmm. and I looked it up. But I also ended up kind of looking at Metal Face. And the first paragraph just spoils everything. And I ended up seeing that it was Mumkar. So I knew it was Mumkar for a little while. Okay. The second vector of spoilers for myself has been The soundtrack, because I have the soundtrack for the game as a means to create music for our episodes and the titles, not very many, only a couple of them, but the titles of some of the music files have spoilers in them.
1: That sucks. That's pretty disappointing.
0: But they're more vague than accidentally glancing at a paragraph. They're just song titles. And so between the two, I didn't know that Mumkar was around the corner. But how do I feel about it? I guess it makes sense. It's poetic for Dunbin. You know, I'm really looking forward to, like, actually eliminating him and moving along with other antagonists, honestly. Because, like, this guy, if this was, like, Xenogears, um, as an antagonist, Metal Face could be as simple as, like, one of the more, like... Pedestrian antagonist. He could be like Vandercom or Bishop Stone or... Mm. I would like to do away with him and get into some of the more complex um, villains because Metalface is not very complex. He's pathetic. He's motivated by greed and vanity and that's not as interesting as things like well, I guess what Agil's getting into what this... um. Not Lady Mayneth, but there's there's this other female name. V Venea. Oh yeah. Lady Larithia too. Like those people have a little more going on than just like vanity and douchebaggery and narcissism. <laughs> so um I would like to I would like to get him out of the picture and, and see more about these other Big personalities with other motivations and schemes and scenarios that haven't been taking up as much oxygen in the room as this great big douchebag that from called Metal Phase.
1: Definitely. Like your com- your comparison to Gears works because like Vandercom, you kill him pretty much pretty closely to after finding out about him or meeting him, you know, he invades the doesn't he invade the Yggdrasil? Not exactly. Or Where does he invade? Okay, if,
0: let me think. The protagonists wanted to recover Margie from uh, from Ave, and the team split. Oh, right, right. Faye and other Gears was going to draw some of the forces away from Bledovic so that Bart and others could infiltrate Bledovic and, and recover Margie. And Vanderkam was part of that. The forces that were attracted to the distraction and he was all about gears. Isn't the answer to warfare, conventional cannons and normal non mech weaponry is the answer. And he's very, very quickly yeah. <laughs> corrected. And by corrected, I mean, you know, killed
1: destroyed. So I feel like we've encountered metal face as many times as we've encountered Ramses.
0: Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting.
1: In as many different mechs as we've encountered Ramses, right? So we've had three or four fights with Battleface slash Memkar, and you have about three or four fights with Ramses, and it's like... Does Mumkar warrant as much staying power as Ramses does in terms of story? And uh, the answer is hell no.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're both pathetic, but I I liked Ramses' patheticness.
1: Yes. He had more motivation than... Well, I guess he did want to be the hero, too.
0: Yeah, he did. Well, he was, uh, spoilers, a clone of the hero.
1: A false contact.
0: A false contact.
1: Well, I'll just say for listeners, too, uh, Tyler does a majority of the editing of the episodes, and he employs a lot of tools to do that editing. So, like, we are trying our absolute best to just keep this fresh and fun. And it probably shows because we probably say a lot of dumb stuff or, like, things that wouldn't make sense if we did know the entire story. So uh, don't hold it against him that uh, he saw some mum car spoilers, because honestly, who gives a shit? It's mum car. We don't care.
0: <laughs> it's funny like faulting the spoil for being a shitty spoiler that's, that's funny
1: yeah i'm still going with if it turns out that uh Bionis's dad is just a giant nopon, then you can you can say that i'm if that actually comes true in my predictions then you can say that i'm totally cheating and uh i i read it ahead of time but
0: that would be amazing uh,
1: see. It's like a choo- It's like the Nopon can get really large, like choo-choo, but what if they can get really, really, really large, and then they lose their round shape and they take on the form of Bionis.
0: Or they become a third Titan.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's the setting of uh, Xenoblade 4, by the way. A giant Nopon.
1: It's just a planet. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. The planet that Bionis and mechanis are standing on is just a big-ass Nopon. Holy
0: that is that is some galaxy brain stuff right there
1: a wet one
0: a wet yeah a wet oceanic nopon he's got some swamp ass swear jar
1: (laughs) yes ass counts as swear jar really i don't
0: know probably not we haven't defined the rules very well
1: maybe in um evangelical uh country you could make that case
0: That'll do it for this episode. This has been a production of Hero with a Thousand Potions recorded on May 20th, 2022. We have an email, hero with a thousand potions at gmail.com. That's one zero 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 potions. And we're also on Discord via a link that you can access from our podcast description, wherever you find this podcast, and on Twitter at the handle Hero with a Thousand Pot. Hey, you know what? We got our first fan on our Discord. So far, our Discord's just been you and I, Nate, but we have an authentic. Fan here, and I'm just gonna give a shout out to to Ronan. Uh, He, uh, him or her, has joined us recently, and we've been we're in a black hole of like critical analysis about about how we're kind of doing on this podcast here. And and him or her has been really. Uh, educational about them um, what they like about the podcast and things that um, that we could show her up and um, a big shout out to him or her and you know what they're feeling probably a little lonely so why don't the rest of you sort of join us here I think we really appreciate that I'm hanging out there and and Nate is too and and uh let's let's build a community let's build a community together you guys or not, <sighs> or not. <laughs> <Jesus>. um <laughs> right so we will be back soon uh, with our I presume it'll be a Sword Valley episode. Yes. And we need full power, Ricky! Ricky Sneaky
1: Bitey Bitey Hero Time
0: swear jar, final count. This is a whiskey seven, uh, excuse me, a whiskey ginger ale. I finished my Jim Beam and have topped it off with Seagram seven and so I am mixing Jim Beam and Seagrams. I hope the whiskey gods do not smite me for this. What else you got, any more? any more bullet points? Oh,
1: we're gonna be here a while it was originally one game and not two games split into two. And uh, Carnival Zone was supposed to, and fuck it, just cut this whole segment. <laughs> it doesn't. No, no, in the no. Floor. Where are you
0: going with this? Okay, are you encyclopedic about old school Sonic? I tripped on a Pog doing the Macarena and ripped my grungy jeans, so I swapped them out for my Zubas, and now I'm watching laser discs of Beanie Babies dancing to Swing Revival.
1: Psych! I love it. That's perfect. And. Depending on what our listener base is, they might have no fucking clue what we're talking about. Hey, all right. If you were
0: born in the last 20 years, you got to know that in, like, 1998, Swing came back with a vengeance for, like, eight months. Mambo number five. And then Y2K happened. There was no seeding that twist. It was just... He's huge. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> you doing okay back there?
0: <coughs> well, it's funny. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing. Uh, good. It's funny.
1: Your laughs are not registering, so I don't know if that's oh, really? intentional. Oh yeah. no, I'm
0: laughing. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. They probably will on your side. Uh, they're not registering on Discord. Dude, but, I'm giggling
0: uh, the shit out of these episodes.
1: Ricky is here upon so feel no fear. Leave it to Hero
0: Super fast dash. Yow! Nice. Ricky can win by himself. Yeah, yeah! Very good!
1: do better than anyone!
0: No pun, special move! No panic, no loose spirit!
1: Ricky having lots of fun!
0: Super first dash, smash pow!
1: No give up. Ready, steady, nice.
0: No one special move.
1: Try it now.